Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And I hope that we will be joined in just a few minutes by the mayor of Greenfield, Roxanne Wiedegartner. We will also have with us this hour Amalgar Shabazz with a very special guest on a quite remarkable, I think, Black in the Valley. And we will have Martina Spada with us as well. Martina Spada, the world-famous poet and award-winning poet who is, of course, on the faculty at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, had a poem, a the significant poem, in last week's New Yorker magazine, and he will be with us to read that poem for us. We welcome to the show the mayor of Greenfield, Roxanne Wiedegartner. Madam Mayor, thank you very much for being with us. It is Mayor's Monday on WHMP. I'll turn the microphone over to my colleague, Buzz Eisenberg. Hello, Mayor Wiedegartner. Good morning. Sorry about the mess up here. Well, uh, we've got you. That's all, that's all that we care about here. We're always glad to speak with you. So we have to talk about the 900-pound uh, the gorilla in the room, which was the election that happened on November 7th. Uh, many people were surprised by a result that were all nine precincts um, were swept by um, Ginny DeSorger, the uh, city councilor who was your opponent in that election and who, who won what most people are calling a landslide victory of about 72% of those who voted. Um, what's your analysis? What do you think happened? People will. People can perceive whatever they want to perceive. Um, she received 23.8% of Greenfield's registered voters. So I don't think that's a mandate to do anything or necessarily a landslide. Um, you know, what it says to me, I think, is either 70%, you know, close to 70-some-odd percent, uh, were either satisfied with the way things thought were and decided not to vote or just didn't show up to vote. You know, I think there is a certainly a, a state of apathy um, that I can't deny, and that's sort of across the country. So, uh, But anyway, uh, it is what it is, so we are moving forward. And um, I just have to ask you about some things, Mayor Rita Gardner, which is uh, there was substantial discussion um, by Jenny DeSorger about the decision, your decision to uh, reduce the Greenfield school budget um, and then the council's decision to add money to the school budget. Do you think that was a factor? I suspect that it, it certainly was, um, but it was a sort of a, um, what is the, the term I want to use exactly? Um, it was a um, sort of a, a straw, a, a bogus argument for the simple reason that um, in I think it was presented as if the city of Greenfield doesn't, uh, from the mayor's office, doesn't care about the schools to fund them. And um, it's anything but. The school budget is more than 60% of the overall budget. And that's pretty consistent year over year. Uh, the reason I say that is there's the operating side. But then there's also the fringe benefits side. And the city of Greenfield pays um, all of the fringe benefits for every school department employee. That is their health care, their life insurance, their workman's compensation, 
and so forth. Um, and that's to the tune of about $6.8 million this past this particular year that we're in. I think that's correct. So um, the rest is simply at the point in time that budget was created. Uh, the revenues did not support a greater increase than 3%. Um, and so that is what had to happen in order for us to present, which we are required to do, and she will be required to do going forward, uh, a balanced budget or force a two-and-a-half override. Hmm. The other issue I wanted to ask you specifically about was one uh, that she... Oh, let me add something else. Sure, please do. In the run-up to the budget, uh, the city of Greenfield, um, we're talking specifically now about settling the contract because in any operating budget, the largest percentage of that budget is salaries and um, wages and salaries. So uh, in the run-up to it, they had just settled a contract. Uh, with the teachers and the IAs. And I authorized over a half a million dollars to go towards settling that contract. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, I hate to use the term, but it's, I think it's a fair term. What do you, how do you prevent the remaining time during your term from being a lame duck? time that is what are you what are your plans between now and when uh the new mayor is sworn in, in which is when in january to january, january 3rd okay it's coming right up uh, whatever yeah. the first business day is after the first of the year yeah so what do you do to prevent what are you what are your plans for the remaining time as a mayor of greenfield well the work goes on it doesn't matter who sits in this chair the work goes on. So I am here today working and have been since 8 a.m. Uh, and um, that's what I've been doing ever since uh, November 8th. So, um, you know, there are projects that will continue forward, uh, particularly the Main Street uh, rede redevelopment, redesign rather, I'm sorry, the actual street. Um, a mass DOT project, that's huge. Um, the fire station uh, needs to be brought in uh, on budget, on time. Uh, right now it is. Um, the on-time piece is a little tricky because we're awaiting some equipment um, that is essential to the operation of the, of the fire station, but is in its, you know, one of those um, supply chain issues, at least for now. Um, so there's a lot of projects that can need to go on that will have to be done, uh, you know, picked up um, day one. Um, they're in place. They're in good shape. Uh, so there's really not a lot to do other than to get up to speed on it. Well, Roxanne uh, Wiedergartner, there, there are projects that are ongoing. For example, the Lunt uh, Silversmith uh, environmental cleanup which has been the source of some controversy. I guess my my question to you is, will you be working with the uh, mayor-elect 
on some of these issues to formulate ongoing policy. Um, uh, will the two of you be collaborating on life after Roxanne as mayor? Well, here's, um, we have a day set aside uh, in the middle of this month for a transition discussion. So at, at which time we'll go over uh, those things and other things. And then I can certainly be available for any questions that she might have after January 2nd. I'm not going anywhere. Um, but she has department heads who are running most of those projects that have all the information she needs and can certainly help her get re, uh, get reoriented. And it probably would be the better, better way for it to be handled because things, you know, change from day to day or can change from day to day. So uh, my advice will be to rely heavily on um, the experts that actually help uh, and are responsible along with the mayor um, to bring those projects forward and keep them going. Mayor, on one hand, um, the result was a very large percentage of votes uh, for uh, a Jenny uh, uh, disorder. Uh, on the other hand, you point out that there was a relatively small percentage of the actual voters who voted. I'm wondering what that le tells you about whether these off-year elections are a good idea or a bad idea in terms of public participation or otherwise. I can't say, is it a good idea or a bad idea, because I don't control the calendar. Um, I, you know, the interesting thing about, let's say, this and 2019 is there was a major question on the ballot. Um, there may have been more than one, um, but that was another off-year election, if you will. Um, and But the question on the ballot was whether to go forward with the uh, the library or not. So that brought out an enormous, no, it may have been one of the larger percentages of overall, you know, registered voters uh, out to vote, both pro and con. The library prevailed, of course. But, um, so this time around, there was simply the election for mayor and city councilors. And um, yeah, it's, it's hard to know. As I said earlier, it, it is it's it is a head scratcher, to be to be sure, um, because it it's you know as far as I could tell, and and certainly my team could tell, um, really it was getting out the vote that mattered, and for whatever reasons, uh, various you know the, a, a good number of people um, just simply didn't get out to vote. The weather was good, <laughs> so I, I I wish I had that crystal ball, but I but I don't, and I I didn't. So as I said, I can't say off year elections are can be can be tricky, for sure. We are talking on this Mayor's Monday with Mayor Roxanne Wiedegartner of Greenfield, and when we come back, I have really two questions I would like to pose for the mayor, and one of them is. What does she see the future of Greenfield being uh, under the mayoral uh, uh, 
reign of Ginny DeSorger. And I also want to ask her what her plans are, Roxanne Wiedergartner's plans. She has served as an official in this town, in the city, long before she became mayor. And I want to see what role, if any, she sees herself playing. We'll be back with Roxanne Wiedergartner right after this. I know I'll always care though you're away Somehow our happy romance And it's suddenly still in my home. Miss an episode of Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg? Want to hear the stories and perspectives of local business leaders? Click on podcasts at whmp.com Talk the Talk, Western Mass Business Show Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor The Hustler Files, Panorama and more When it's happening here in the Valley We're talking about it the only live and local talk in the Valley for the Valley. WHMP.com. Let's experience fitness together. Hi, this is Jessica. And at Fitness Together, we offer personal trainers and customized workouts either in studio or virtually. Located in Northampton and Amherst, we're here to help you reach your goals, be it weight loss, recovery and rehab, improving health, or simply living well. Getting fit, you'll have the energy to do what you love. Visit us at Fitness Together, Amherst, or Northampton and become a part of our community today. Fitness Together, your journey to wellness starts with us. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. The co-op's kitchen is always stirring things up. Get ready to go meals, sandwiches, salads, pizza, burritos. Get help with holiday parties and dinners. Let's bake. The co-op has all your baking essentials, like ground up, flour and grains, stone milled in Holyoke. Put a little lovin' in the oven. Breads and brownies, cookies and cake. Let your creative inspiration flow. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. You're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost. Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts and messages from community nonprofits. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we're continuing our conversation on this Mayor's Monday with Greenfield Mayor Roxanne Wiedergartner. And uh, before the break, I, I said to you, Mayor, that uh, I'd like to know, what are your concerns? What's the, what do you see as Greenfield's future these next few years with Mayor DeSwigger in the mayor's office? Well, like I said earlier, there's very significant and important things that have been set in place in the last four years for the city of Greenfield. And... Um, they're all to the benefit of the city, and they all should move forward, whether it's, um, as I said, the Main Street Project, the fire station, and in, in including um, cleanup at the Lunt property, and so forth. These are things that have been ongoing for a number of years, and they should continue. They just happen to be coming due between now and the, the next four years. So with res- regard to that, um, you know, I stand by what I said earlier, which is um, get clear on what that is, what they are, how important they are, what stage they're in, and use your experts in order to do that. As far as the rest of it goes, it's really hard to tell. Um, 
So, I mean, it's very easy during a campaign to make a lot of promises. Uh, making good on those promises in the real world of governing is can be more difficult. What role do you see, if any, for Roxanne Wiedegartner in these next couple of years? Uh, in the city of Greenfield or in my life and life only? Well, I, I care deeply about your life and life only, but I'm talking specifically about the city of Greenfield and your contributions, if any. Okay. Well, I, as I said, I'm not going anywhere, but I've certainly made no plans to do anything uh, different than what I'm going to do, which is enjoy some time off. Um, I need to work. I need to continue working. So at some point here in the next, um, you know, few months, I'll I'll get back in the game of looking for some, some interesting things to do. There's a couple of things out there. I'm not going to speak about them now, but um, that um, have crossed my mind. And so... Uh, do those things involve Greenfield uh, municipal governance? Uh, it, peripherally, yes. Oh, the temptation to dig, <laughs> dig deep. <laughs> well, I don't know if we can. Uh, Mayor, I, I would like to ask you this. Um, I'm not running any elected office. There's no, no plans to run okay. right. I'm not going to, at least not as of today or probably as of January 2nd, plan on becoming a city councilor. Mayor, I, I l- would like to know this. Looking back, uh, what's your feeling of greatest accomplishment and if you care to what would be your deepest regret oh that's interesting um i've had a lot of accomplishments i mean the list is very long um both you know prior to becoming mayor um but also uh in terms of the city i'm talking about as as, um as a member of the school committee and then on the planning board for a number of years um, I am I am proud of everything I've done, whether it's putting together the Wilsons Project, which, by the way, is moving along just fine, and there really is no need. At this point, it's not like the city is involved in that every day. Um, it, it is being um, handled through our economic development department. Um, with regard to, um, so there's the Wilsons Project, there's the fire station, there's the library. Um, I know a lot of people seem to think and certainly had made comments about it. The library was already a done deal, but it really wasn't. There were um, a few things that had to be dealt with um, in order to uh, make way for the library on the on the lot that it sits on. The fire station is another one. Um, I am proud of the fact that we are fiscally sound, extremely fiscally sound right now. And um, I have no reason uh, to think from the city side, from the finance department side, that that will change. Uh, I'm proud of a lot of things that I've done. I have, and I have no regrets, Bill. I have no regrets. Well, there you have it. Uh, Mayor, we, uh, we are uh, very grateful uh, every time we talk with you in Mayor's Monday. And in December, we're looking forward to talking to you at Mayor's Monday again. 
And thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, and thanks. Let me, let me add my thanks, too, because I don't, I don't think it was easy for you to come on the show today. And I want to say I think that took some courage. And we really appreciate it that you did decide to join us, really. But I, Buzz, do I have to do this the fourth Monday of December? That's Christmas Day. I think I won't do that. You'll be our Christmas bet. <laughs> How about the morning of the 25th? Are you busy? <laughs> we'll find something else. Thank you, Mayor. We really appreciate Thank your time. Thank you so much. All right. We'll be right back. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Sarah Robertson. There will be police present at all Beltertown school buildings today and throughout the week after local police received an anonymous and threatening email over the weekend. Yesterday, local and state police investigated all school buildings in town and deemed them safe, but decided to increase police presence for additional security. Long-awaited plans to build a new bike path in Southampton are finally underway. The Southampton Greenway is expected to be complete in the next three to four years now that project leaders have secured a right-of-way purchase agreement and hired an engineering firm to begin the work. The State Department of Transportation has also approved the project, which will run 3.5 miles along a former railroad line from Coleman Road towards Sheldon's Ice Cream. The route will connect to East Hampton's Manahan Rail Trail, giving riders access to a network that extends to Belchertown and Williamsburg. At last week's six-hour town council meeting, Amherst residents shared their thoughts about the town council's request to borrow an additional $10 million for the Jones Library renovation and expansion project. The project is already expected to cost around $46 million, and while some support the additional spending, others are wary of the high price tag, including Amherst resident Ken Rosenthal. I'd like the town to be a little bit more honest about how much town money is going into this project. A newly elected member of the Jones Library trustees, Eugene Gofredo, said a lot rides on the town council's ability to see the project through to the end, as planned. To reject the project would be a costly mistake. We would lose over $23 million of federal, state, corporate, and personal funds. Pretty much all of it is contingent upon the project as it's currently defined. The town will have to finance more over time to pay for the repairs necessary to keep the Jones usable and would not get any of the benefits of the expansion and the renovation project. Town councilors postponed a vote on the additional spending last Monday night, and they could take up the issue at their next December 4th meeting. Reading is one of life's great pleasures. Having a community bookstore makes it even better. Broadside Bookshop is a community-minded, woman-owned, independent bookstore in downtown Northampton where you can browse to your heart's content. For book lovers, Broadside is home away from home. You can order virtually any book on the Broadside website and pick it up at the store or have it sent to your door. Do you love books? You'll love Broadside Bookshop. Hi, I'm Joanne Fink, and I'm supporting Cooley Dickinson, my community hospital, on Giving Tuesday, and I hope you will too. Fundraising proceeds benefit the Transforming Emergency Care Campaign for the Cooley Dickinson Hospital Emergency Department. Right now, every new cash donation made to the emergency department will be matched by 50% up to $1 million, thanks to the Harold Grinspoon Charitable Foundation. To give, visit CooleyDickinson.org slash give now. 
It's time to get ready for all sorts of winter fun with the annual Northampton Lions Club Ski and Skate Sale, December 2nd from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Smith Vocational High School. There will be all sorts of new and used gear that will be available, including alpine and cross-country skis and boots, ice skates, snowshoes, poles, and much more, all to benefit the Northampton Lions Club. The Northampton Lions Club Ski and Skate Sale, December 2nd from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Smith Vocational High School. The Food Bank of Western Massachusetts provides healthy food to families and individuals facing hunger in our region. And right now, with food insecurity the highest it's been in recent years, the Food Bank is distributing more emergency food than ever. Learn more about the Food Bank or get support for yourself and your family. Go to foodbankwma.org or call 413-247-9738. The Food Bank of Western Mass, committed to making sure our neighbors have enough to eat and leading the community to end hunger. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. Last week, late last week, when I received my copy of The New Yorker, I was so pleased and excited to see a poem by Martina Spada. Martina Spada, of course, is a professor at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, the poet laureate of the city of Northampton, poet laureate, I guess we should say, erstwhile Poet Laureate or Poet Laureate Emeritus, and, oh yes, by the way, the winner of the National Book Award for his collection of poems in floaters and winner of an uh, enormous number of commendations and awards for his poetry over many, many years, probably one of the most famous poets in the United States, no doubt one of the most famous poets, deservedly so, in the United States. The title of this poem is Gonzo, we are joined by the aforementioned uh, Martina Spada. Martin, uh, the title is Gonzo. Why? Well, uh, it's uh, a nickname for uh, the main uh, character in the poem, um, who is uh, based on a real person. And uh, I can illuminate further by actually reading the poem. Well, I would like you to do that, please. Okay. Um, I'll say uh, by way of preface that uh, the tutor of the poem is my wife, uh, Lauren Marie Schmidt, who taught adult literacy at a drug and alcohol rehab center in Patterson, New Jersey. Gonzo. Everybody knew Gonzo, his cigarettes and cologne, his gold crucifix, the white t-shirt he wore to every meeting. They leaned closer to listen whenever he spoke in the circle at the rehab center, some with eyes shut, seeing his confessions of addictions, demons, and sobriety's angels at war. No one knew Gonzo signed his name with an X, the tutor at the rehab center held up flashcards and sounded out the letters A, B, C. There was no alphabet song in Gonzo's head, no teacher at the blackboard. He said the letters one by one. At the letter S, he stopped. The tutor studied Gonzo's nose long, but not as long as the nose of the Muppet with the same name. 
S, she said again. Gonzo had no front teeth, no place for his tongue to go. He puffed and sprayed, a man unable to navigate the river of his own name, Gonzales. He hid his face in his hands, unlettered cards in his head, as if the tutor could not see him now. A sob surged through him, a beast chained to the rock of his ribs for 50 years since the days the roosters woke him up for school in Puerto Rico. He wiped his face clean. Gonzo was clean, clean fingernails, clean shaven, clean white shirt. The tutor waited, thinking, he doesn't know his letters, but he knows every street in Patterson by name. She squeezed Gonzo's wrist once, then again, till his eyes met hers. She held up the next flashcard. She said, say tea. You've been listening to Martin Spada read his poem, Gonzo, appearing in the issue of The New Yorker, November 20th, 2023. What inspired you to write this poem? Uh, it was a conversation with uh, Lauren. Um, I asked her, how in the world do you teach someone how to write? Uh, and particularly, how do you teach someone how to write who doesn't even know the alphabet? That seemed to me uh, a miracle. And she began talking about her experiences, particularly in Patterson, and particularly at this one particular rehab center. Uh, she uh, focused on <clears throat> a few people and he was one of them. And I simply asked more questions. And that's how the poem uh, evolved. It was a conversation. Um, and, uh, and by the end of the conversation, uh, this, is what, uh, this is what came out of it. Martina Spada, you were in this same lifetime, a tenant's lawyer who worked for legal services. You've moved to a rural area. A lot of what you write about, though, is urban strife. And I'm wondering whether the geography of your being away from it is helpful to your writing or whether that's a distance, a geography that you have to uh, transverse to get to what you're saying in your poetry. Uh, well, I need, uh, regardless of where I am, I need... Uh, time and space uh, to do what I do. Um, I, I don't think it's a particular advantage or disadvantage to be uh, in, the hill, in the hill towns. It just happens to be where I am. Um, I will also say this, these days I'm writing about everything. Uh, I am uh, reaching back into my past, I'm, I'm writing about uh, certain experiences that I never touched upon before as a poet. Um, maybe the isolation uh, gives me the freedom to do that. I, I, I don't really know. Do you uh, write the same time every day? Do you have 
periods of time set aside saying, I'm going to write, or do you write when you feel, somehow feel an inspiration? Oh, I, it's totally random. I, I have the worst uh, uh, and strangest uh, work habits in the world. Um, you know, the, I know there are <clears throat> writers who would come on your show and say, well, I get up every morning at 5 a.m. and, you know, I milk the chickens <laughs> and then I sit down and I write for eight hours straight. And if you don't do that, you're not really a writer. Uh, well, whoever says that is leaving uh, something out of the picture. Somebody else is taking care of that person. Somebody else is doing all the cooking. Somebody else is doing all the cleaning. Somebody else is doing all the driving. Somebody else is taking care of the kids or the chickens. Uh, somebody else is uh, paying the bills, et cetera, et cetera. It's a statement of privilege. Um, and uh, I, I have never been able to do that. Let's conclude with what you're working on. You said you're looking at all different aspects of our world, your life. You're working on a collection. You're working on poems and looking forward to more poetry being published in the most prestigious places in the country. Um, I'm working on a collection of poems called Jailbreak of Sparrows, which is uh, going to be published by Knopf. That won't be out for a while, so don't worry about the pub date or whatnot. Uh, and my poems will continue to appear in various places, some prestigious, some not, um, which is the way it ought to be for a poet. Um, you know, what is prestige anyway? Well, thank you for that beautiful ending. <laughs> what is prestige anyway? Did I say it well enough? Well said. <laughs> we have been speaking with Martina Spada, whose poem Gonzo appears in the most recent edition of The New Yorker. He is, of course, the National Book Award winner. He is the Poet Laureate of the City of Northampton. He's a professor at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. The... And, and he's prestigious. Well, and that is true. Martine, thanks so much for being with us this morning. Really appreciate you taking the time. And congratulations on publication in The New Yorker. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Buzz. What do I see? Poetry Poetry in motion The Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Where is your pain? In your knees, hips, your back? Don't let it sideline you any longer and don't let them tell you surgery is your only option. Call QC Kinetics now. QC Kinetics is the nation's leader in regenerative medicine, restoring and repairing damaged joint tissue the natural way, using healing properties from your own body to bring you lasting relief with no drugs and no downtime. QC Kinetics is trusted by patients all over America with 150 clinics nationwide. Get started now so you can live big in 2024. Talk about a great use of your FSA and HSA. 
put them to work getting you the relief you need so badly. And again, there are no drugs, no downtime, and no surgery. Call QC Kinetics today for a free consultation. Let their medical professionals give you a better path towards that pain-free life. Call 413-992-5450. That's 413-992-5450. 413-992-5450. Even though temperatures are dropping, local food never stops. Across Massachusetts, winter farmers markets are popping up, showcasing the finest handmade products and fresh produce from local farmers and small businesses. Eat local this season and experience the magic of supporting your local community. This message is sponsored by Mass Farmers Markets, a nonprofit passionately championing farmers markets across the state. Join us to eat local year-round at massfarmersmarkets.org. This week's Shop Tuesday is Galaxy. This Tuesday at 9 a.m., Galaxy releases certificates for the restaurant in East Hampton. Dumplings, deviled eggs, and an ever-changing menu of creative plates, large and small. A stylish bar and lounge, a dining room with booths of white leatherette. And this Tuesday, you save 30%. Galaxy in East Hampton, available this Shop Tuesday at 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We welcome back to the show uh, Anukar Shabazz. This is our Black in the Valley segment. Uh, Professor Shabazz, professor at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, has with him and us today a very special guest because we want to know about what has just happened in Amherst in the recent elections. Really quite, I think, a title change a sea change for the town of Amherst. We'll find out in just a moment. Let me turn the microphone over to Professor Amilkar Shabazz. Thank you, thank you. It is indeed an incredibly exciting opportunity uh, to bring forth um, someone that I hold in great esteem, um, Heather A. Lord, or Hala, as we affectionately uh, call her, is a um, newly elected uh, to the town council of Amherst, Massachusetts, representing District 3. She is also someone that I've had the pleasure to serve with over the past two years on the town of Amherst's um, African Heritage Reparations Assembly and together um, under the dynamic leadership of our chair, Councillor Michelle Miller produced a uh, a report to help guide the ongoing work of reparative justice in uh, in our town. Uh, it was great to serve with her in that capacity. But um, she is she's just an all around incredible person. Uh, has lived in Amherst for um, uh, I know more than three decades. Uh, she can give us the exact year, but. Um, she has uh, been a, a, a fantastic contributor to the town in, in many, many different ways. She holds two graduate degrees, uh, both in education and in social work. She is cer a certified embodied social worker, as well as certified in restorative justice practices. And um, 
she is the, a mother. She, uh, her, her fantastic uh, daughter, I watched her raise and, and, and grow, grew up in our community, is, uh, is off at uh, the, uh, the little college uh, over in, in Cambridge, uh, Harvard University, nation's oldest college. Uh, and and, and in just in so many, uh, oh, and I must say, um, together with my, uh, my wife, Demetria, one of her uh, really uh, wonderful things she enjoyed here in this town was to be part of the Amherst Area Gospel Choir. She was uh, uh, under the direction of Jacqueline Wallace, the Wallace family, but also in the choir um, is it was was Sister Hala as well. And boy, when they sing this particular song from South Africa, it is just incredible when Hala's voice comes in on that one. Uh, so anyway, welcome to uh, Black in the Valley, Hala. What's what what's coming up for you uh, uh, today? Um, thank you for that introduction. First and foremost, just so much love for your wife, Deshavaz, and singing together will transcend me. She's part of my motivation for running for the town council. And then the work we did on the reparations committee, the work that was done by other groups like CSWG for CRESS and um, the DEI felt really important that we get people in the town council that will fight to not only keep it, but increase funding and presence and staffing for these different initiatives that Amherst has started. That's really great. And uh, how do you see the uh, election? I'm, I'm um, you know, I, 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 Bill and, and Buzz, I try to learn tact and diplomacy from them, but, but I am who I am. I am what I am. And I have to bring up uh, the article from the uh, Daily Hampshire Gazette that analyzed by Scott Mersbach that analyzed the election as this great victory for the political action committee, Amherst Ford, which did endorse you. Um, and the way Scott writes it, it's like they own all of you. They own you. Does Amherst Ford own you, Hallelujah? They absolutely do not own me. Um, and so far, they have never asked anything of me. That may change. They may say this vote is coming up and we expect you to vote this way. But I've always been transparent that that's not who I am. I was voted in by my constituents, my um, not colleagues, but my neighbors. Yeah, some colleagues in District 3. I feel really grateful that they redistricted and gave the apartment complexes a little more power to maybe get a, a person or two in there to vote for some of our needs that get woefully neglected in this town. Um, not to point fingers or anything, but it just does who has the power, who controls the power. And thank you to the voters for giving us, you know, that live on a really sort of fixed income, pay about 50% of our income just to afford an apartment in Amherst, but we value Amherst, we love Amherst. And so yeah, Amherst Forward does not, I do appreciate their support. I'm still investigating into some things I've been in, you know, told about the organization because I, I admittedly didn't know enough or don't know enough, but I also want to help us, uh, that sounds, not help us, my goal is to, have healing, have dialogue, have at least, maybe not healing yet, but a place where we can sit down in a town divided and hear each other's, how we've been harmed and the ruptures. And um, if I were to, you know, disregard Amherst Forward, there's a whole bunch of voters that really believe in them and that really don't understand that 
other things that might be at play. Could you so go back? Could you go I, back just a I second? Lost, how, how, yeah, uh, yeah. Let me go back because I, I want to make sure that listeners who don't live in Amherst uh, or don't have detailed knowledge about the politics of the town, uh, leaving aside what you've just said about you don't know everything, you're not part of Amherst Ford, they endorsed you. What is Amherst Ford? What is the other group? What Can you give us a one-minute okay. encapsulation of what are these politics at play? Yes, as I understand, back when about 10 years ago, we were voting for a new school or and also to create a charter versus a town membership, town meeting model. I, I believe that's around when this PAC political action committee called Amherst Ford was created. Um, and that was to really push their desire to have this new school built and some other initiatives. And then in response to that, when they felt the town people felt there was too much isolated power with Amherst Forward. Um, the Progressive Action Coalition of Amherst was created, another PAC, which is the other side, quote unquote. Um, and can I straddle the middle? I know they say if you're neutral, you're choosing the side of the oppressor, but I'm not, um, you know, like that. I'm just trying to say, these are my neighbors. Our kids go to school together. We stand on the soccer fields and basketball courts together. And these are my neighbors. And how can we hear each other differently and maybe really grow together as a community? I know, and let me I know say, it's Pollyanna. Sorry. No, not at all. Let me say that in full disclosure, um, my wife, Dee, was a founding, uh, a founder of the Progressive Coalition of Amherst. She, she pulled me into that, into that work as well. Although, uh, honestly speaking, I've, I'm a person that um, ever since uh, Jimmy Carter disappointed me um, in his first term as president, I wasn't old enough when he ran to vote for him. But ever since then, um, I've, I've always viewed uh, electoral politics uh, in a, with, uh, with a great deal of skepticism. Uh, I know it's the essence, it's a big part of this thing we call democracy, but for me, it's it's not everything. But uh, but at any rate, um, the uh, I have to say, you won your district with the largest number of votes. You you beat you you had more votes than uh, George Ryan, who uh, who won the other seat, whom my um, was uh, was not happy to see get back into politics, but it is what it is. And um, and it was a contested race. So there were other choices, but you were chosen number one over over uh, uh, any of the other contenders. And I think would have won with or without anybody's endorsement um, because you have been such an abiding presence uh, uh, of love, of healing and of uh, intelligence, of an intelligence that um, you know, is seen in so many aspects uh, and, you know, how you've raised your your own child, how you've uh, moved in the community. Tell me, how do you, what committees do you look ahead to to being on in January when you, have you thought about some of, uh, you know, how you will transition in this role? You're not a newcomer. You served on the school committee uh, for, for the town of Amherst. You've, you've been active in so many capacities. Have you begun to think about what your uh, what what roles you'll you'll look to play and what things you'll kind of champion. And how let me, let me piggyback on Amilcar's question. Maybe you could uh, answer both of these at the same time. You mentioned the word healing. You invoked that word, and so did Professor Shabazz. In terms of the work you want to do on the Amherst uh, Town Council as the newly elected uh, councilor from District Three, what is it that needs to be healed? What do you hope to accomplish? 
Thank you. That a lot of great questions. Um, I found that there's a lot of hurt feelings and people are on the defense and attack. So we're not listening to each other in the same way and or we're drawing the end of the conclusion without sitting down with the person. And this isn't for everybody to say, yo, what's up? There's this man named David, I forgot his name, but he sat down with 200, a black man, 200 Ku Klux Klan members and built a relationship with them to the point where they're like, oh, I'm not gonna dehumanize black folks anymore and be part of this organization that um, does that. Um, that's not where I'm at yet, but I do wanna be a place of okay, you are saying they're lying and you're saying they're lying, let's come together because there is some truth. And like Rashomon, there's probably four or five truths. But part of that, the healing, there's a, a definite racial divide always has been in Amherst. We're not gonna heal that today or tomorrow, but some of the steps we're taking are starting to get some members who aren't um, targeted by racial violence, by racial um, oppression to understand that it still exists. It's not back in the day, it's here every single day in this town, it's in the air we breathe. And how do we not get defensive about it? Don't say, well, I didn't own people. It's not about that. It's about what ways are we living that are still harming each other who are minoritized or marginalized by these structural inequities. Um, so that's part of the healing and we're neighbors and we don't have to agree, but can we hear each other with respectful listening or nonviolence communication. We also don't have to respect each other, but can we listen respectfully? Um, in terms of committees- something that- oh, Go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to note too, Roger Wallace wrote a wonderful letter I, I was looking at last night um, when you were running and, and supporting your candidacy. He talked about the kind of person you are, the listener, the, 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 the healing, uh, um, energies, but yes, go on, talk about like what lies ahead for you. Thank you. Um, I'm really excited about, I'm not a politician. Let's just put that right out there. But when I went to this National Association of Black Social Workers Conference, they really encouraged more social workers in politics so that we can bring a, whatever specialty and our energy to politics. So I'm, I don't, I haven't figured out what subcommittees like finance or where I might end up, but I would love, I'm researching other towns that might have a, a youth council. I would really love to invest in having a youth council. Um, uh, how do we get other voices at the table? I know that's such a saying, but how do we amplify? How do we seek out the people that don't know their voice matters and that in local politics, it will make a difference. National politics, I get, oh, Massachusetts is going to vote Democrat. Maybe I'm you know, disillusioned from politics, but I've learned recently, the past few years, how important local politics is and how every voice, I swear, every voice, even the ones that say the exact opposite of me, they're all important and we need to hear them and, you know, find ways to incorporate more people, especially our youth. And then um, I don't, I want to say our elders, even though the first town council, I think the average age was 72, but that's a very specific wealthy um, elder who is not BIPOC. So I also want to find ways to get more elders of color into the, 
the fold and into, and this isn't just me. There are other people that also have this, like Alicia Walker. She's very community minded. How can we get the voices of those of us who love Amherst so much, but either we're being priced out, we're being pushed out through harmful racial practices, um, discriminative stuff. How do we hold Amherst accountable and do better together? I guess that's. Well, Bill knows that I've, um... Uh, I look forward uh, in the new year in 2024, and I've talked with Alicia uh, Walker about this. Uh, she's sort of our black mayor uh, of Amherst. I mean, in that she yes. won uh, an at-large at seat. So she represents the entire uh, town, not just one district. And so I want her to come on on Mayor's Monday, and we have a black Mayor's Monday uh, on Black in the Valley, but we definitely will want to keep these conversations going uh, with, with both of you uh, as we go into a year uh, that uh, similar to Greenfield that was just talked about also has a lot of uh, 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 critical, critical issues unfolding. Professor, we have to Professor, we you know, make sure that Cress is moving forward. We have to make sure that we, the reparations plan moves forward. And so we have to leave it. We have, I know we, we, have to, we have to run. Oh, Lord, I'm a question boss. Thank you. Behold the gates of mercy. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. If we didn't go for this project, the cost to repair the schools is estimated at 80 million, and we don't get help with that. So this vote is the absolutely the smartest financial choice, and it's getting a building that we desperately need for our educators and for our students. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 101.5 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. Whatever the season, something fun is happening at the Hitchcock Center for the Environment. From home energy efficiency workshops to birding classes and nature walks, we have hands-on activities happening all year long. Whether you're 2 or 92, the Hitchcock Center has an opportunity for you to connect with our natural world. Come visit us at our new location, the Hitchcock Center, 845 West Street in Amherst. For more information, visit hitchcockcenter.org. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls. WHMP.com, a Northampton radio group station. It's 10 o'clock. Our growing hopes of a temporary ceasefire between Hamas and Israel will be extended past today. Correspondent Cami McCormick reports. Some Israelis took part in a protest today demanding their government allow more time for hostage releases. <laughs> I'm against all violence and I um, I really hope that there will be ceasefire and I really hope that uh, it will continue. To I'm optimistic it will be extended. We want all hostages back home now. There is only one day left to the current pause in fighting. Hamas returned dozens of hostages to Israel in three separate exchanges over the weekend. Among them, Al-Hal Bussarai's teenage niece and nephew. He tells CBS Mornings. It wasn't the walk in the park, to say the least. They were held in a house together with another lady. Very little food, very little water. They 
came back very, very slim. He says they didn't know their mother had been killed during Hamas' attack on their community October 7th until they were freed. It's believed their father is still being held hostage. A suspect is scheduled to be arraigned at court in Vermont in half an hour in what police say is a possible hate crime. Three Palestinian college students were shot in Burlington. CBS's Jim Crisula. Rich Price is an uncle of one of the victims. The last thing that we imagined could be possible was that in our family neighborhood, they would walk down the street and this would happen to them. The three young men are hospitalized, one in serious condition, the other two are listed as stable. Rosalind Carter's body is being transported to Atlanta today, where she will lie in repose at the Carter Center before her funeral this week. Jan Williams lives near the Carter family in Plains. I still think she's up the street. Uh, I still think somebody's going to tell me how she's doing. I think it will take weeks, months, whatever, to process that we don't have her. Mrs. Carter died the week before last at the age of 96. It's not known if her husband, former President Carter, who's 99, will be able to attend any of the events. Planning to do some shopping online today? Retail analyst Bert Flickinger has some Cyber Monday advice. Clothing is down significantly. The best time to buy big screen TVs, computers, and consumer electronics. If you wouldn't dare take time away from your work to shop, consider this from CBS's Bradley Blackburn. A study in Italy found people who are addicted to their work suffer from worse moods, even when they're working. Researchers say that may indicate higher levels of stress, which could put workaholics at risk for burnout and cardiovascular problems. Dow down 54. This is CBS News. Make the hiring process work for you. With Indeed's end-to-end hiring solution, you can attract, interview, and hire candidates all from one place. Start at Indeed.com slash credits. Have you Googled yourself lately? Are there negative posts from an ex-employee or from a former client? Maybe an outdated news article or sensitive personal information about your family? Search engines don't always get it right. But right or wrong, it's your reputation on the line. That's where Reputation Defender by Norton comes in. One of the most trusted names in online reputation repair, Reputation Defender has been fixing people's search results for over 15 years. Their cutting-edge approaches help you to wipe away unwanted information in your search results. They also promote the good stuff so that it rises to the top, helping you put your best foot forward. Your good name is too valuable to leave to the whims of a Google algorithm. Take control with Reputation Defender. You can start by getting your free reputation report card at reputationdefender.com or call 800-401-6681 to speak to an expert. That's 800-401-6681. A thriller in the NFL. It was overtime in rainy Philadelphia with the Eagles needing a touchdown to beat Buffalo. For WHMP News, I'm Sarah Robertson. There will be police present at all Belchertown school buildings today and throughout the week after local police received an anonymous and threatening email over the weekend. Yesterday, local and state police investigated all school buildings in town and deemed them safe, but decided to increase police presence for additional security. Long-awaited plans to build a new bike path in Southampton are finally underway. The Southampton Greenway is expected to be complete in the next three to four years now that project leaders have secured a right-of-way purchase agreement and hired an engineering firm to begin the work. The State Department of Transportation has also approved the project, which will run 3.5 miles along a former railroad line from Coleman Road towards Sheldon's Ice Cream. The route will connect to East Hampton's Manahan Rail Trail, giving riders access to a network that extends to Belchertown and Williamsburg. 
At last week's six-hour town council meeting, Amherst residents shared their thoughts about the town council's request to borrow an additional $10 million for the Jones Library renovation and expansion project. The project is already expected to cost around $46 million, and while some support the additional spending, others are wary of the high price tag, including Amherst resident Ken Rosenthal. I'd like the town to be a little bit more honest about how much town money is going into this project. A newly elected member of the Jones Library trustees, Eugene Gofredo, said a lot rides on the town council's ability to see the project through to the end, as planned. To reject the project would be a costly mistake. We would lose over $23 million of federal, state, corporate, and personal funds. Pretty much all of it is contingent upon the project as it's currently defined. The town will have to finance more over time to pay for the repairs necessary to keep the Jones usable and would not get any of the benefits of the expansion and the renovation project. Town councilors postponed a vote on the additional spending last Monday night, and they could take up the issue at their next December 4th meeting. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to Talk the Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. And we are so pleased to have uh, a local resource that all of us have just benefited so much for decades from in Richie Davis. He has just completed what he what he swears is the final bit of writing from Richie Davis. Hey, I don't swear. <laughs> His well, trilogy okay. of collected feature stories from four decades of writing and editing for the Greenfield Recorder. Bill, it is Flights of Fancy, Souls of Grace, and we have with us Richie Davis, who doesn't swear. The title, yeah. <clears throat> the title is, indeed, Flights of Fancy, Souls of Grace, More True Stories from Extraordinary Lives, and Richie Davis will be having a book reading, a signing, a Q&A, a community discussion, Tuesday, tomorrow, the 28th, at the Leverett Library at 6.30, and this Thursday, November 30th, at the Dickinson Library in Northfield, and Saturday, December 2nd, at the Athol Library at 10.30, and Monday, December 4th, at the Greenfield Public Library, and on December 5th, at Forbes Library here in Northampton at 6 o'clock. All those reading signings discussion uh, featuring... Richie Davis, who is, as Buzz has noted, for some 35 years, a writer for the Greenfield Recorder. He was an award-winning features writer uh, and editor, indeed put it all together for over four decades at the Greenfield Recorder, and his book, Flights of Fancy, Souls of Grace, More True Stories from Extraordinary Lives. It's a gem. Richie Davis, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for all you're doing to the com with the community on the 28th, the 30th, the 2nd, the 4th, and the 5th in Leverett and, and in Northfield, Athol, Greenfield, and Northampton. We can't wait to hear more of your readings and discussion. Flights of Fancy, Souls of Grace, More True Stories from Extraordinary Lives. These are stories of extraordinary lives, all here in Western Massachusetts. And I want to ask you an unfair question to begin. It's a little bit like, tell me who's your favorite child. But of all of these stories, of all of these people, who do you love the most? Well, it is unfair. Uh, I've never known you to be unfair, Phil. Um, but, um, you know, I can tell you, I can tell you the story that took me the longest to write, and that's the story about Randy Keeler. Um, and he's, I don't know that he's my favorite, but he um, certainly, uh, I've dealt with Randy ever since I arrived in the Pioneer Valley in, back in 1970. 
six uh, to start working at the recorder. And um, it took me a while to um, to do that story because I when I when I went back um, thinking about what was missing from the prior books that I did, um, it uh, it seemed like I didn't have a story about Randy that was really a profile that uh, went back to his past and his you know really he's he's been so active in so many ways uh didn't didn't really reach back and talk to him about his growing up and all so i had to go back and do that um and what i did is i pulled together a lot of different stories that i had done with him and also visited him um probably i don't know five or six times um and actually uh he's a you may not know this, but um, Randy is a next door neighbor of uh, Martina Spada um, in Shelburne Falls. Um, but yeah, so that, Richard, that's... Richie Davis, let me ask you a couple of questions about the piece that you wrote about Randy Keeler titled Driven by Conscience, because there are two pieces of it that just remain with me and that I think about uh, pretty often. Uh, let me read to you two sentences. One is about Ellsberg, and you say, you're talking about Randy Keeler giving a talk, and you say, it was there that Ellsberg, a former Pentagon analyst, had been sitting in the back of the room listening to the young speaker talk about imprisoned anti-war activists. Ellsberg, Keeler recalls, was still trying to figure out where he was with the war, given that he was convinced that it was wrong, horribly brutal, and taking so many lives. What could he do about it? And Randy Keeler, because of his influence, because of what he said, because of what he believed, because of who he was and is, changed the course of American history with Daniel Ellsberg. Tell us more about that. Um, well, Daniel Ellsberg was um, was at, sitting at this uh, conference that that Randy had done in uh, in uh, Pennsylvania, and. Um, he um, he had had many you know questions uh, in the work that he had been doing um, um, beforehand, and um, it was it was that experience of sitting uh, in the back of the room hearing Randy, who had um, I think at the time he had been um, um, he had been arrested and he hadn't been he hadn't gone to trial yet. Uh, and Randy was talking about um, his experience, and it, it was just so moving for him. Um, at one point, he broke down and cried, um, and I described that as well. Um, and um, you know, it really it really brought everything home for him and changed him. Um, and they remained friends right until um, Daniel's uh, recent death. You Very write close friends. You they were, and you write, Keeler quote opened my eyes to the possibilities of resisting the war. End quote. Ellsberg would write later. Later, no Randy Keeler, no Pentagon Papers. One other before we go on to some of the other uh, individuals who you write about these extraordinary lives, you do something in your writing that I really love, and that is you have this judicious use of one sentence paragraphs. Powerful one-sentence paragraphs, and one of them in this story about Randy Keeler was this. 
His time in Africa had changed him. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Um, yeah, that was um, that was during his time at Harvard. He um, went to Africa, and he had been. Um, interestingly enough, um, Randy says that he wasn't a Vietnam. Um, he, he wasn't really uh, involved with the Vietnam War, protesting the Vietnam War. He, did, he didn't feel strongly about it. Um, and, and someone told him that if you go to Africa, um, when you go to Africa, which he did uh, to work with um, with young students there, um, that it will change you. And um, he, he came back and the, the experience of, of working in a third world country briefly um, really did change his whole perspective. And he began to see uh, when the when the Vietnam War um, protests were going on around him, um, that's when he be became um, uh, involved with that. While we are on the topic of uh, Randy Keeler and Daniel Ellsberg and the Pentagon Papers and Vietnam, I'd like to turn to another one of the stories you write in Flights of Fancy, Souls of Grace, More True Stories from Extraordinary Lives, and that's the story about Al Miller and the Veterans Education Project. Tell our listeners who don't know about uh, VEP, who may not have ever heard of Al Miller, why he is in your book, Flights of Fancy, Souls of Grace. Uh, yeah, Al Miller um, was, when I met him, he was working at the Peace Pagoda in Leverett, and um, he was involved in... Um, in the building of the of the Peace Pagoda, and um, he, um, it, it, the story that I wrote actually uh, on for a Veterans Day edition of the Recorder um, about his experience in the in Vietnam, uh, where um, he describes the um, his killing of a uh, a Vietnamese. Um, soldier um, and the, the, the anguish that it caused for him. He was, he was involved with the Veterans Education Project and um, would go in to talk with um, high school students and describe for them um, how his life really changed in, in the moment uh, when he took another life, um, seeing, seeing this um, young, young Vietnamese uh, die before before his eyes, and and you know, it it just changed him. Did writing these stories change you? Um, it really, um, I think it really helped sensitize me um, to the life that was right around me because these, it seemed to me that these people were um, everywhere I looked uh, here in Franklin County, um, and. Uh, of course, my my uh, my role at the recorder was to do um, you know general reporting on politics and on uh, you know all kinds of different things and specific small town life. Um, but here were these compelling stories that uh, seemed to be everywhere and uh, have continued for you know all forty two years that I was there. 
Uh, Richie Davis. And oh, I'm sorry. Stay. Go ahead. I didn't no, mean to cut you off, Richie. No, well, no the stories are the stories are still there. The people are still there, um, and the, the passion in these lives is is for me very compelling. You write in Flights of Fancy, Souls of Grace, Richie Davis. You write that your publisher referred to the Greenfield Recorder, your newspaper, as a daily miracle. What did he mean by that? Why did you put that in the book? Well, that's Al Hutchison. Um, um, and, you know, I just wanted to describe for people, um, you know, we take these things for granted. We take, we take the media for granted. We take our, our lives for granted. And um, the importance of small town, uh, of community journalism is, is um, really critical. Um, and we're seeing that now as small papers around the country uh, disappear. And um, you know, really struggle. Uh, those that are those that still function really struggle to um, cover local local government and local life. And I, uh, his his his, uh, he would say that um, because really reminding us of how uh, hard it was to take a um, you know twenty four pages, and those twenty four pages would be or more. Um, at the time, um, those pages would be completely redone. I mean, they would be, there would be new, 24 pages, a new product every day. And for a small operation, that was a miracle. And we would look around and say, yeah, you know, uh, how did we do that? But you, you didn't have time to even think that because you're putting out the next day's paper. It's kind of like what you guys do. We are speaking with Richie Davis. He won more than 35 regional news and feature writing awards as a reporter and editor for the, in the more than 40 years that he worked and wrote at and for the Greenfield Recorder. He will be at the Leverett Library on Tuesday the 28th, the Dickinson Library in Northfield on the 30th. On Saturday the 2nd, he will be at the Athol Library. That's in the morning at 1030. You'll need to register. Monday the 4th at the Greenfield Public Library and on December 5th, Tuesday at the Forbes in Northampton at 6 o'clock. We'll continue our conversation about Flights of Fancy, Souls of Grace, more true tales from extraordinary lives right after this. Come on and take a walk with me through this green and growing land. Walk through the meadows and the mountains and the sand. Walk through the valleys and the rivers and the plains Walk through the sun and walk through the rain Here is a land full of power and glory Beauty that words cannot recall All her power shall rest on the strength of her freedom Glory shall rest on us all From Colorado, Kansas and the Carolinas too You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg this week's Shop Tuesday is Galaxy. This Tuesday at 9 a.m., Galaxy releases certificates for the restaurant in East Hampton. Dumplings, deviled eggs, and an ever-changing menu of creative plates, large and small. A stylish bar and lounge, a dining room with boots of white leatherette. And this Tuesday, you save 30%. Galaxy in East Hampton, available this Shop Tuesday at 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. 
you're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost. Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts, and messages from community nonprofits. United Healthcare faces a lawsuit filed by the estates of two elderly men who died recently. The complaint accuses United Health of using artificial intelligence to wrongly deny payment for treatment the men's doctors ordered. United Health says it will contest the suit in court. If you're looking for a part-time job for the holidays, you might have to look a little harder. Several major employers, including the U.S. Postal Service and Macy's, have announced plans to take on fewer seasonal workers than last year. Even Walmart is hiring fewer people. Volkswagen Group of America is recalling nearly 24,000 2023 to 2024 ID4s. The company warns the interior sunshade for the panoramic glass roof may be insufficiently fire-retardant. Fabric that is not fire-retardant may further fuel a fire, increasing the risk of injury. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with multiple award-winning author and writer Richie Davis, whose new book is Flights of Fancy, Souls of Grace, More True Tales from Extraordinary Lives. Richie will be at the Leverett Library and the Dickinson Library and the Athol Library and the Greenfield Public Library and Forbes in Northampton in this coming week. We can't wait to have all of those readings and signings and discussions and community involvement. Richie, take us back to the title, Flights of Fancy, Souls of Grace. Why that title? What does it mean? Well, um, what it means is that not all of my time, um, I mean, I was always busy when I was, when I was um, working at the recorder, um, but I was sometimes um, allowed, uh, in addition to writing series about serious issues uh, and stories about um, people who were really compelling and stuff, uh, to, to poke around in other areas and um, so the there was a flights of fancy tour that I did um, back in 1997, uh, which basically just sitting there thinking, why can't you know why can't we point out all these wonderful places around uh, Western Mass because we you know a very local uh, newspaper, uh, the Recorder was uh, about Franklin County, but I wanted pe- people to look around and you know know about uh, the Dr. Seuss house, for example, that it existed, or Lake Charkagog, Chowbunagungabog. Um, so, um, say that again. So I did a, yeah, no, I won't say that again. Um, <laughs> um, no, can't do that. But um, so, yeah, so I, so I dreamt up uh, places that we could visit in Jack Kerouac's um, turf, um, and get away from Franklin County. Um, so so I'll, I can read you a, a little short passage. Um, there's, um, yeah, so Mary had a little lamb 
And they both lived in Sterling, Mass., on what's now Route 62, north of Worcester. Yes, there really was a Mary who had a little lamb that really did follow her to school. The old Redstone Hill schoolhouse on the road to Clinton is no longer in Sterling because Henry Ford had it moved in 1927 to Longfellow's Wayside Inn on Route 20 in Sudbury. But you can visit the lamb or a stone facsimile thereof on Sterling Town Common. You can see the homestead of Mary Elizabeth Sawyer, uh, who became a matron at McLean Hospital in Belmont, um, who and who really was followed to school along with her brother Nathaniel in about 1815, according to a sixth generation descendant of Nathaniel, Diane Malone, who with her sister owns the corner house on Maple Street, which uh, runs just off the center of town and is trying to have it restored with the help of the Mary Sawyer Foundation. Now, who knew there was a Mary Sawyer Foundation, right? Uh, I did not have many playmates outside the dumb preachers on the place Mary Sawyer Taylor wrote in later years. There were not many little girls to play with, and I had few dolls, but I used to dress up my lamb in pantalets and had no end of pleasure in her company. Um, so that's one of my flights of fancy. There's also Elsie the cow in this, um, in this uh, section of the book. Um, so, yeah, little surprises. In for a dime, in for a dollar. Elsie the cow, want to tell us more about that? <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, Elsie the Cow, America's most famous lactress of all time, was a knockout jersey whose real name was Yuldu Lobelia. She won plenty of prizes for Elm Hill Farm in Brookfield before being spotted by an agent for Bordens and leased as the nation's number one bovine superstar, dressed in an embroidered green blanket at the 1939 World's Fair. And by the time she died at age nine in a 1941 traffic accident on Route 9W in New York, uh, Elsie had appeared in a array of improbable places from the bridal suite of New York's Waldorf Astoria to leaving her hoof prints at, uh, at uh, Hollywood's Grauman's Chinese Theater. <laughs> she also appeared in the 1939 World's Fair and starred as Buttercup in the 1940 uh, movie version of Little Men. So, and how long did it take you to yeah, research it's, it's, all this? Well, um, so I, I did a, a tour. I, I think I took a day. Uh, yeah, they gave me a day to drive around um, parts of Massachusetts and visit some of these places. And of course, there was some research that went into that. Um, but did you, I mean, did you get to pick? Did the, you get to pick all of these subjects yourself, or were editors suggesting topics for you? Yeah, you no. Know, a lot of times the editors didn't know what I was what I was doing when I was doing these stories. I I would just say oh, I've got a I've got a feature of the uh, that I want to do on. Uh, we just go around different places, and so they look forward to that feature. In addition to the flights of fancy and the political uh, persons uh, who you. Uh, profiled in your in your stories in your feature pieces, you wrote about artists. You wrote about Barry Mosher. You wrote about uh, Wang Hui Ming. Ming. Um, yeah. And I'm wondering if you could share with us what attracted you to those stories and those people. Well, um, 
so again, there's a uh, there was a tremendous mix of stuff that that I found really appealing about, uh, which is about Franklin County, which is why I moved there. Um, I was living from, from in, where? I was out in uh, Rochester, New York, um, and I, I I literally went on a vacation to a dairy farm to spend a week on a dairy farm. Uh, and Richie, I don't know how to break this to you, but most people, when asked, where are you going for a vacation? Don't reply, to a dairy farm. What? Well, we, <laughs> Why? The week, before that, we, the week before that, we had gone to a, a chicken farm in uh, <laughs> Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And I really preferred of course you did. Um, what we found in, in Shelburne. And um, so, yeah, agriculture really drew me. Uh, and it was all around, and that was my really my favorite stuff to do. But but there were also many many um, you know poets, uh, writers, artists, um, musicians, composers, um, and in one of the uh, in the first book that I did, uh, Inner Landscapes, I did I was able to do a series of articles on creativity, which drew um, which drew uh, on a lot of these uh, people like Barry Mosher. Um, Norton Juster, uh, Arnie Black, um, who were all around doing this incredible stuff. Um, and, and so that's how I came to do, uh, you know, Jean-Claude Vanitelli is, uh, the playwright, um, is in this book, but he was also was part of that creation creativity series. And, and, uh, yeah, so I was drawn to that stuff. So Richie Davis. It's not stuff. It's, that's real life. And that's, um, that's, What's I found so compelling is that people were, were like Randy Keeler, were doing these incredible things, and so were people like uh, like Barry Mosher and um, and and the sheep the sheep shearer um, who is included in this book, uh, who worked without, uh, who worked in a, using a, a traditional sheep shearing techniques and. Um, yeah, so all these aspects of life, uh, I think, are what drew me to, to put out these uh, collections of stories. This is the third one. And I just want to point out the other two in this collection of stories are Inner Landscapes by Richie Davis and Goodwill and Ice Cream by Richie Davis. And all manner of, you know, if you want to read about somebody uh, who was a wrestling buddy for the Dalai Lama or um, uh, just uh, a self-taught fiddler who magically weaves community with his bow and his heart. It, there's just so many wonderful and interesting stories that celebrate this region. Bill, so where are these readings going to be and when? Again, Tuesday, the 28th, at the Leverett Library at 6.30, Thursday at the Dickinson Library in Northfield, Saturday, December 2nd, the Athol Library at 10.30, Monday, the 4th, the Greenfield Public Library. I believe that's an evening uh, uh, event as well. And then at the Forbes Library in Northampton on Tuesday, December 5th at 6 o'clock. And Richie, you'll be reading, having a discussion, a community event. You wanted to say one more, another minute about what these events will be as you're on this book tour of Western Massachusetts and your home community? Well, it's for me. It's really kind of a last fling, uh, um, because after working, you know, doing writing these stories for over forty years, um, being able to connect with people um, 
at these readings and and there have been readings uh, that I've been doing for the last what three or four months all around um, all around the region, ending up now with in Northampton. Um, it's just a great way to for me to share these stories and to get feedback and to really um, connect with people, um, which was all about, which is what my career has all been about. And I'm, um, I do plan to do some more readings in the spring. I have one for uh, at GCC, their senior symposium series in April and uh, other ones that I'm planning to do. We have been speaking with Richie Davis. His new collection, Flights of Fancy, Souls of Grace, More True Tales from Extraordinary Lives. Thank you for your time, Richie. Thank you for the book. Thanks for sharing the love. Thanks for having me. is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Sarah Robertson. There will be police present at all Beltertown school buildings today and throughout the week after local police received an anonymous and threatening email over the weekend. Yesterday, local and state police investigated all school buildings in town and deemed them safe, but decided to increase police presence for additional security. Long-awaited plans to build a new bike path in Southampton are finally underway. The Southampton Greenway is expected to be complete in the next three to four years now that project leaders have secured a right-of-way purchase agreement and hired an engineering firm to begin the work. The State Department of Transportation has also approved the project, which will run 3.5 miles along a former railroad line from Coleman Road towards Sheldon's Ice Cream. The route will connect to East Hampton's Manahan Rail Trail, giving riders access to a network that extends to Belchertown and Williamsburg. At last week's six-hour town council meeting, Amherst residents shared their thoughts about the town council's request to borrow an additional $10 million for the Jones Library renovation and expansion project. The project is already expected to cost around $46 million, and while some support the additional spending, others are wary of the high price tag, including Amherst resident Ken Rosenthal. I'd like the town to be a little bit more honest about how much town money is going into this project. A newly elected member of the Jones Library trustees, Eugene Gofredo, said a lot rides on the town council's ability to see the project through to the end, as planned. To reject the project would be a costly mistake. We would lose over $23 million of federal, state, corporate, and personal funds. Pretty much all of it is contingent upon the project as it's currently defined. The town will have to finance more over time to pay for the repairs necessary to keep the Jones usable and would not get any of the benefits of the expansion and the renovation project. Town councilors postponed a vote on the additional spending last Monday night, and they could take up the issue at their next December 4th meeting. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. Which says we need to appeal to the wealthy white people of our region because the marginalized people do not have money. Which is true, but as we know, that's what happens when you have centuries of policies that are oppressive, that are racist. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. 
What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. The co-op's kitchen is always stirring things up. Get ready to go meals, sandwiches, salads, pizza, burritos. Get help with holiday parties and dinners. Let's bake. The co-op has all your baking essentials, like ground up, flour and grains, stone milled in Holyoke. Put a little lovin' in the oven. Breads and brownies, cookies and cake. Let your creative inspiration flow. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Why are the world's central banks quietly yet aggressively amassing mountains of gold? Because they know a storm is brewing, the type we might witness only once in our lifetimes. They understand that America's vastly inflated currency doesn't have much life left. And when it finally dies, gold will be a bedrock of stability just as it has for thousands of years. Hi, Stephen K. Bannon, and I urge you to do as central banks are doing. How? By diversifying your IRA or 401k into physical gold with Birch Gold Group. This will protect your savings from inflation, political instability, and economic crashes. To see how it works, get a free info kit on gold IRAs by texting the word HEDGE to 989898. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. So text HEDGE to the number 989898. That's HEDGE to 989898 to get your free info kit on gold. There's no obligation or purchase required. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. If they ask me, I could write a book. <laughs> I love that introductory music to, for Megan Zinn, who always brings us wonderful authors and bookshop owners, distributors of incredible books, publishers, and today we have, well, a local gem. We do. We, uh, we have Kevin and Diane Germain, o- owners of Splendor Solace Books on Market Street in Northampton. Welcome. Hi there. Thanks for having us. Good morning. Um, so you, you guys opened your bricks and mortar bookstore um, just about a year ago, correct? In January. January. So you're having your first anniversary. But you ha- you have had a website for some time before that. Yeah, I think uh, two years, maybe, two years? something yeah, like I that. Yeah, I think okay. we opened in 2019 as Splendor Solace Books. Okay, so tell yeah. us a bit about that history. What, um, how you, well, I guess first, how you started collecting books. That's really been the first question. A, yeah, that's been a long, long time coming for both of us. Um, Kevin and I both are big readers and had a, our personal library grow since we were kids. We we're in Boston when we met and used to hit all the the Wonderful. famous stores, yeah. Victor Hugo. Editor Victor Hugo. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so I think it was maybe five years before that that Kevin came across a couple of, you know, wonders and said, I think I can sell these and started ah, looking okay. it up and mm-hmm. went on eBay and started on eBay. And then by 2019, we're, we're both in the medical field okay. and- we were like, you know, can we fit this into our lives as, as something we can ease out of the medical field <laughs> and into a, a different career? And so, you know, we started coming about as Splendor Solace Books online. We really jumped into social media, mm-hmm, which was mm-hmm. our platform yeah, for a good smart. year. And surprisingly, but now not so surprisingly, you know, we, we sold a lot of books. Yeah. And started a website soon after. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah, we continue to do that. That's a big part of our right, business that still, still today. It's, it's not like you gave one up for the other. No. And then what um, sparked the decision to actually open a books and mortar mm. store? That was, that's interesting because when we were younger, we would come out this way. Kevin's mm-hmm. family is from here and we would go to uh, Haymarket back in the day when there was books downstairs. Right. Oh, and we'd sit before between, my time. Yeah, sit between the stacks, you know. And you get uh, a cup of coffee and hang out. And look at books and we'd be like, oh, wouldn't it be nice? And then, like, I Everybody know. does that. You know, we did what everybody does. <laughs> right, <you know>? yeah. <clears throat> and then uh, we kind of put that out of our mind. And then through the book selling grapevine, we heard that Patty from... Gabriel Books ah. was going to sell. Mm-hmm. And that's when it was kind of fell into our lap, really. And we said, let's, the let's time. just follow those breadcrumbs and yeah. see, you know, is it something that we could actually do? And we followed them till we bought the store. <laughs> yeah. And, and for those um, um, who don't know exactly where it is, if you do know where Gabriel's Books used to be, it's the same storefront on Market Street. Um, and I'm speaking with Kevin and Diane Germain, open, owners of Splendor Solace Books. Um, and... Do you know? Do you have with the um, still still running the website and the bookstore? Do you have books that are on the website but not available in the store, or in the store but not available on the books website, or is it, is it pretty um, consistent across everything's the platforms? at the everything is is at the store. Um, the stuff that on the website are mostly you know fancier things, mm-hmm. um, things that are worth our time putting on the website, okay. and things that we find interesting, or we know that people that you know like what we do would find interesting. Um, so yeah, everything on the website we can get at the store. Okay. Everything that's at the store is not on the website. Okay. Okay. That makes, that does make sense. Um, so tell us about your specialties. You have some specialties within, um, antiquarian books and collecting. Yeah. Yeah. We tend to lean towards, um, like philosophy and, and occult titles. Um, although we also have other things. We have lots of, um, rare books in, um, in art. Mm-hmm. Um, and some literature as well. Like we have a really nice, um, I think it's a second edition of um, Emily Dickinson um, oh. set of poems, which is really beautiful. Really thrilled to have it in our shop. Oh, how lovely. Um, we like it a lot. Can, can I just throw in this mm-hmm. question for uh, Kevin and Diane Germain, the owners of Splendor Solace Books? It's antiquarian books. Why is it the collection of things that are old that motivates you to focus on antiquarian books? Is it the uh, the fact that having a hardcover book these days when so many books are electronic? Well, what is it that motivates your interest in antiquarian and your customers' interest in older books? That's a solid question. I think it's got a, um, a longer answer that I could probably throw out. Um, I, I think, I mean, there... With the internet, things have changed, um, and people and booksellers over time have sort of noticed that. Like, there was a day when a rare book was valued for its content in the sense that that was where that information mm-hmm. resided. When a scholar needed, you know, you know, some random reference to some uh, Renaissance book, and it wasn't on the web, it was in a physical book. It was a physical container for that. And now everything's on the web. That's no longer the case. So it's much different now. And um, so as booksellers, um, we're trying to recognize that fact and still see them as, as, as their they're objects and objects of history, mm-hmm. um, objects beauty. of feeling, uh, of beauty, beauty yeah. you know, um, you know, a lot of energy has went into making that book what it is and where it is. Um, from the from the author, from the era, 
and then also from the people that made the books as well, which is really, all, and all that is very fascinating to us and lots of other people. And so people like, I think most of our other people that we interact with, they like kind of being part of that sort of mm-hmm. world. Like, oh, so, I love this book. Oh, I can't believe you found this book, you know, from this time period and from this author uh, with, with this topic. It's like, it's just a lot of fun. Um, so I think um, having access to these things, it's a little different than it was in the past in the sense that before it seemed untouchable for a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. Like they couldn't afford, like, oh, it's a rare book, I can't afford that. Well, and, you know, antiquarian books can run anywhere from $20 to $1,000 yeah. or, you know, yeah. even more. But surprisingly, you, you can buy a nice antiquarian book for not a lot of money now, yeah. um, depending on what it is. So we're, we're talking with Kevin and Diane mm-hmm. Germain, owners of Splendor Soulless Books in Northampton, and we will be back um, to talk some more after the break. What you have in mind Changes on the cards But this time it will be hard I never want to leave you We've never had a Or Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Hi, I'm Sally Griggs, and I'm supporting Cooley Dickinson, my community hospital, on Giving Tuesday, and I hope you will too. Fundraising proceeds benefit the Transforming Emergency Care Campaign for the Cooley Dickinson Hospital Emergency Department. Right now, every new cash donation made to the emergency department will be matched by 50%, up to $1 million, thanks to the Harold Grinspoon Charitable Foundation. To give, visit cooleydickinson.org slash give now. Where is your pain? In your knees, hips, your back? Don't let it sideline you any longer, and don't let them tell you surgery is your only option. Call QC Kinetics now. QC Kinetics is the nation's leader in regenerative medicine, restoring and repairing damaged joint tissue the natural way, using healing properties from your own body to bring you lasting relief with no drugs and no downtime. QC Kinetics is trusted by patients all over America with 150 clinics nationwide. Get started now so you can live big in 2024. Talk about a great use of your FSA and HSA. Put them to work getting you the relief you need so badly. And again, there are no drugs, no downtime, and no surgery. Call QC Kinetics today for a free consultation. Let their medical professionals give you a better path towards that pain-free life. Call 413-992-5450. That's 413-992-5450. 413-992-5450. Go with your gut. Your dog's immune system is based in the gut. A diet lacking in nutrients can cause itching, scratching, and a weak immune system. However, there is a solution. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E. Dinovite. It took a grand total of two weeks. The dog stopped itching. The hair stopped falling out. Try Dinovite for free. Just pay shipping and handling. Learn more at Dinovite.com radio. Happier, healthier with every bite. Over a million pets helped with Dinovite. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back with Megan Zinn and her really special guests, Kevin and Diane Germain, owners of Splendor Soulless Books, antiquarian bookshop here in Northampton. 
And do you, uh, do you guys have any exciting um, like acquisitions, things that you've come across that you've, you've had in the store, either whether you still have it or whether it went back out, um, that were particularly exciting to you and what, you know, what made them exciting to you? We've had a number of fun pieces that, that, that were just a lot of fun to have in shop. Um, one that immediately comes to mind, we've had um, two copies of um, Leaves of Grass, mm-hmm. Walt Whitman. Um, early editions. We had a yep. sixth edition, I think it was. Uh, I think they were both. There might have been sixth and a seventh edition, so two different copies. Okay. Um, what year would that be, roughly? Uh, 1888. Okay. Yeah, roughly, I okay. think. Um, and the reason why, so they're cool just by themselves, just like, you know, no other story attached to them. Um, the first one was when we got, um, when we acquired the store, all the basement is filled with books. Mm. So it's filled with boxes and boxes and boxes and books. And this was, there was an 18, 1888 um, edition of Walt's uh, Leaves of Grass mm-hmm. just in a box stuck down in the basement. Whoa. We're like, hey, Hello. look at this little beautiful <laughs> thing. Um, so that was a fun find that we woke up to. So you inherited what, all the books when you yeah, walked Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And what and condition are the pages in? It wasn't too bad because it had really basically gone into the box at some point and it didn't go anywhere. Yeah, so, it wasn't being conserved yeah, properly. Yeah, so the, yeah. You know, the spine was nice. Um, it wasn't ripped or anything like that. Had the dust jacket had the, part of it. No, that was the other one. Oh, no, so okay. we acquired another one through, I don't know if it was an auction or how we got it. Uh, we acquired another edition of Leaves of Grass, but the story behind this one was that um, I forget what library it came from, but it came from south of Boston somewhere from a library, um, and they, they took it off the shelf in the 1880s or 1890 when the whatever local judge uh, or at the area deemed that it was pornographic. Right. Oh, gosh. They took it off the shelf, and then they stored it away. Back to the future. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so we literally got that copy, and it still had part of his dust jacket left on it, and it was in immaculate condition. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my. And the story behind it was just amazing. It's like, right. all of a sudden, here it is. Yeah. Like, you know, you go flip to the page that they, that quote, unquote, was pornographic. <laughs> um, so it was a lot of, you know, that was another fun piece. Wow. I was and like, oh, my shows God. You how you must have changed. serious overdue fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh my yeah, goodness! Definitely. <laughs> um, do you have anything currently in the store that is is particularly um, exciting to you? I think the rhyme of the ancient mariner that oh, we have. Wow. It's an elephant folio, which means it's. Wait, what does that mean? It's huge. It's okay. I don't know, two feet tall. It's giant. I forget the dimensions, but it's not small. And it's from I think also the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, absolutely. And it's illustrated by mm-hmm. Doré, which is incredible. Um, the illustrations wow. because they're so big, you yeah. can see the fine yeah. etching. That's just a poem. It's not. I mean, it's, it's so it's made into right. book form with the illustrations. Yeah. Right. Wow. And that's a second edition. So that's a beautiful piece we have on display, and everybody comes. In I and think goes, I might oh. be coming in to see that. Yes, we'll take <laughs> I, it off the shelf for you. Exactly. I actually have a question for you, Megan Zinn, which is, you're such an avid reader. You love books so much. Do you pay attention to the different types of binding over the centuries? <laughs> Not, I don't. I don't have that specialized knowledge. I do love a beautiful old book. I love the smell of it and the beautiful leather. But I've never, you know, developed that kind of um, esoteric knowledge that some people do have. I imagine mm-hmm. you get customers in your store who are, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, yeah. aficionados like yeah. that. Some people are things. super specific. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Um, um, so I'm speaking with Kevin and Diane Germain, off owners of Splendor Soulless Books. Um, so um, you opened a bookstore in, well, just after the pandemic, and it's always in some ways a difficult um, 
economy for bookstores. Although my understanding is that bookstores are doing pretty well, particularly niche bookstores. Yeah. What what keeps you going? Um, I think both economically and um, spiritually, or, you know, keeps you question. into this. No, go ahead, Kevin. You want me to handle it? Um, what keeps us going? Um, we really like being in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we like talking to people about the books that we have and the books that they're interested in. Yeah. Um, so that's a really key component. We started, um, not only were we online in terms of like we were selling on, on Instagram and, and social media, but we were doing a vending events in Boston where we would set up a table. Yeah. We bring, I don't know, 100, 200, 300 books. Um, and people would show up and you know, we'd be at maker markets makers markets mm-hmm. and um it just talked to people that were into them so uh, so the the community the people it's always great to talk to readers and people that have interesting ideas um about what they're reading um so that's what really generated the, our excitement around that yeah, I think. yeah yeah and i i also think that we have looked at books as kind of like a gateway you know mm-hmm, what i mean mm-hmm. and now that we when we were just online our niche was like the esoteric philosophy rare, pretty books. Now we've got tons of books so many in more, different, yeah. you know, genres. And I don't know, to me, it's just an experience of walking in someplace and stepping into the past right. when you open the book. Yeah. And that you could share that with other people and the conversations that we have. And the other part too, is that, you know, we become part of Northampton Arts Night Out, mm-hmm. so we offer readings and lectures and music, and that's like what Kevin was saying, to be a part of the community. And, you know, it. I think that it feeds, I think people enjoy that, yeah, yeah, you know, and yeah. I think that our excitement for what we do, because... You know, you come into our shop, we're, you might have a 10-minute conversation before we let you get to the stacks, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so... Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, you know, you're about to hit your first anniversary. And so yes. you have customers, obviously. And and, and you've, there's there's the demand for this kind of thing. Certainly it's happening. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. happening. Well, Diane and, and Kevin Germain, do you, do you read the same thing, like, in sequence so you can discuss them with each other? <laughs> That's a good question. question. We, we have in the past. You know, we've read The Hobbit together. Oh, fun. We're both kind of nerds. Um, I'm more into fiction. Kevin's more into the philosophy and esoteric, but we share. We don't necessarily read together, mm-hmm. but we do share. We'll talk about ideas. like, oh my god, I read this. You know, I, I, I want to talk about this thing I just read. I can't believe it. Um, so that'll often happen, or I'll just sometimes we just like the way something's worded. Yeah, we'll read to yes. each other. Yes, <laughs> we have a great family story about the Hobbit. When my son was like in sixth grade, and they were reading it in his English class, and he came home for the weekend, he's like, oh my god, I left my copy of the Hobbit at school, and I need to read this much. And my husband was like, yeah, here's mine. Reach it onto the shelf. <laughs> yeah. Hand it to him. And wait, wait. And then, like an hour later, we get a call from Charlie's friend, um, and he also forgot his. And Fred's like, "Yeah, I got another one." <laughs> so yep. we are apparently the Hobbit lending library. That's awesome. Um, anyway, so so Kevin and Diane Germain, owners of Splendor Soulless Books. Um, what what um, what kind of books do you um, you talked a bit about? Um, you know, the Hobbit we mentioned. What other kinds of books do you just personally love to read? Um, I really love fiction. I I like to get lost in a good mm-hmm. story. Um, I like kind of gothic tales oh, cool. or, you know, magical realism for something lighter. Um, but that's my, where my interest kind of goes. Yeah, and Kevin, I, I go through phases. Um, um, I went through a philosophy phase, I, um, and I went through a French poetry phase. Okay. So I have a lot of good French poetry that I like to read, uh, all in translation because I can't read French. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe it. Um, so. 
lovely. Yeah, yeah poetry. Um, and so you also have um, events at, at, um, at Splendor Solace. Um, what do you have coming up? We have, um, for Northampton Arts Night Out on December 8th, uh, John Shurer, mm-hmm. Shire. Yeah. Um, he's got a new book out of short stories with Meat for Tea Press. Shout out to them. And then in January, we have a Boston musician, young woman from Brighton, I believe, and she's going to be singing. She's a singer-songwriter with some really cool sounds. So we're looking forward to that. Wonderful. Bill? I'd be interested to know because, <clears throat> excuse me, we have many listeners who have many, many shelves of books. Mm-hmm. What are you looking to buy? Oh, good question. Good question. Yeah. Um, anything that's clean. Um, <laughs> It's a good place to you start. Mean, you mean physically clean? Physically <laughs> clean. Anything, yeah. anything <laughs> back, much, back to the, you know, yeah, the well, questions of the library in the 19th century. Stuff, things that are in good condition, things that are um, literature, science, philosophy, math. Love math. Um, old things are fine. That's great. Um, but it always depends on you know what's going on. Um, spirituality. Spirituality. Esoteric stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, so if you have a first edition of the King James Bible, Bible sure. please bring it. Especially if it's signed. Does that be signed by God or King James <laughs> or who, who would have signed that? Whoever signed it, bring it to 21 Bar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A Guten, maybe you had Gutenberg in your basement. <laughs> well, this, it, it really is so interesting. Um, so tell us one more time what this next event is going to be at, uh, at your bookshop. It's going to be on December 8th, Friday, December 8th, uh, with John Shire reading from his new book. And what time is it with that? Yeah, I'm sorry, that's at 5.30. At five, oh, 5.30, that's yep. good to so know. So it'll still be open. Early, earlier time. And yeah. you, what's your address on Market Street? 21 Market 21 Street. 21 Market Street in Northampton. Yes. Well, thank you. It has really been a pleasure to talk to you. We've been talking to Diane and, and Kevin Germain, owners of Splendor Soulless Books in Northampton. Delightful. Thank you so much. Wow. I just have to ask you, Megan Zinn, do you buy... Antique books? I don't really collect them. I've, ga- I've gotten things um, from some, um, I don't have a lot, and I've got some unusual things that I've, that either been given to me or that somebody like my, discovered my parents or my in-laws have, um, but not something, I don't think I've ever really kind of gone out and purchased something. I don't think I'm knowledgeable enough. Well, if you want to, definitely <laughs> here's the place to do it. Splendor, Soldas, Books. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you both. Thank and you. Well, thank you, Megan. And thank you all for joining us today yeah. on Talk to Talk. We'll be here with you tomorrow. Tag your it. Tom Hartman. Weekdays at noon. Tom Hartman Program, your home for the resistance, commentary, conversation, and common cause. Join me, Tom Hartman, every weekday from noon to 3, right here on WHMP. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. Are you or someone you know addicted to drugs? Narcotics Anonymous can help. N.A. has been helping addicts since 1953. We are recovering addicts who meet regularly to help each other stay clean. We offer meetings and services online and in person. 
To find one of our meetings or to get information on what services are offered, visit www.westernmassna.org or call us at 1-866-WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls, whmp.com, a Northampton Radio Group station. 